This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Uh, off the top in this hour, and we, we hear a lot about the, the, the plight of First Nations in this country and, and First Nations communities in particular, and as we should. Obviously, there, there are a lot of communities where there are a lot of concerns. Access to clean drinking water, uh, the situation with housing, you know, big concerns. But I think at the same time, though, it's worth noting that the situation's not the same in every community across the country. And some are doing relatively well. Some are thriving, in fact. So why is that? And are there things that can be shared? Are there lessons that some communities can learn from others? Well, the, the stuff is tracked by Statistics Canada, by the Department of Indian and Northern Affairs, uh, a new study from the Frontier Center for Public Policy in conjunction with the Atlantic Institute for Market Studies has gone through that data and looked to see what some of these communities are doing that maybe other communities could emulate. Uh, the study's called Seven Habits of Highly Effective First Nations. Joining us on the line is Tom Flanagan. He's Professor Emeritus, University of Calgary, and is chair of the Aboriginal Futures Program at the Frontier Center. Dr. Flanagan, great to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Rob. Good to be here. All right. Well, explain, first of all, and you know, I mentioned it, where, where are you getting this data? Because there, there's a lot that, that is available that's collected on these communities and their well-being. Yeah, the uh, Department of Indigenous Affairs computes an index from the census data every five years. It's an aggregation of uh, income, employment, housing, and um, education data for it, it actually, the index is computed for all Canadian communities, but they're particularly interested in reserve communities. So it's called the Community Wellbeing Index. It runs from zero to 100. Uh, the higher, the better. Uh, and the average for uh, Canadian communities in general would be uh, uh, around 80, um, 79, actually. And uh, for First Nations, it's about 59. So there's quite a gap. But there are some First Nations that are right up close to the Canadian average. And so this study focused on 21 of them that were up at the top, uh, had an index number between 73, from 73 up, some of them over 80, mm-hmm. um, and tried to find out what are the common factors that are resulting in a higher standard of living in these communities. Well, first of all, one thing that jumps out is half of them, I think just over half, are in B.C. That's right. 11 out of the 21 were in B.C., and I think there are some historical reasons for that, um, uh, partly location. The, in B.C., there are about 200 First Nations, about a third of the total for Canada. They tend to have smaller communities, and many of them are located near towns or cities, which uh, creates some economic advantages for them. So whatever precisely the reason, yeah, there are more of these high-achieving, um, proportionally more in, in B.C., but... There are certainly in all other provinces as well, there are um, First Nations that are doing quite well. So it, maybe it's an advantage to be in B.C., but uh, communities, there are some good examples everywhere. Okay. So location can matter. But, I mean, obviously there are some communities that are a little more isolated or in remote areas. That that doesn't necessarily preclude them from from thriving or from, you know... G- exercising these other advantages. That's right, uh, but they have to do it differently. Um, I mean, a good example from Alberta would be the Fort McKay community up uh, north of Fort McMurray. It's about as isolated as you get. Um, and prior to 1985, they were pretty much dependent on trapping, 
and then they lost their market when the European community decided to prohibit the uh, import of furs. They realized they were all going to be on welfare if they didn't do something, and so they, they went down the business path and started uh, contracting with uh, oil sands, providing various kinds of services, and uh, today they're a very prosperous uh, a very prosperous community. So you can do it in any location, but you have to take advantage of whatever opportunities you have. Right. And I mean, so, you know, some of the the, the, the seven habits, as you call them, recognizing economic potential of land, taking advantage of local opportunities, remaining flexible through diverse investments. Um, Ottawa Piscat um, in, in Ontario, and, and they've got that proximity to this diamond mine and the relationship they've had with, with De Beers. But why has Attawapiskat not been able to take advantage of that economic potential? Well, I think it comes down to leadership. Uh, one thing we noted in our, in our research is that um, these 21 highly successful communities have had uh, uh, strong leadership. They've had chiefs who've um, been in office for you know, 10, 20, 30 years or more, sometimes generations, you know, father and son. So they've had a lot of stability, and um, they've had chiefs who, who recognize what it takes to succeed in business, and uh, so they've made good use of the opportunities they have. But there's nothing automatic about it, you know, like why do some, in the wider world, some businesses succeed and some businesses fail, some hockey teams win and some <laughs> lose. <Right. laughs> Leadership has a lot to do with it. Yeah, I suppose it certainly would. Um, and then when it comes to, I mean, speaking to that leadership, and you talk about running a, a business-like economic government, uh, you know, even even around Calgary, we, we see that with uh, Sutina, for example, and, and some of the opportunity, economic opportunities they've pursued and have been quite successful with. Uh, so that does get back to leadership, but I guess it also means leadership that, that understands the importance of, of building a local economy. Yeah, uh, I mean, it has to be a leader, leader uh, or leaders who are... Um aware of business opportunities and and willing to take advantage of them there are some first nations leaders that really want to stay away from from business um and uh, you know but i guess that's their right but it, the results suggest that uh, um leaders who embrace business are going to do better for their people so you have to have the right philosophy the right strategy the right the right leader and then having the, a good location is certainly helpful well, it's interesting because, yeah, when you talk about some of those opportunities that maybe get shunned, uh, that calls to mind the, the pipeline debate and working with the energy industry where you got some Aboriginal communities who embrace it and, and who thrive. And we've obviously seen others who have decided that uh, they're going to make it their point to, to oppose mm -hmm. the industry and oppose yeah. these projects. Yeah, good illustration. All right. So, I mean, you've got 600 plus. There's 618 First Nations now recognized by the department, so there's going to be a lot of variety. So what this study does is to pick out the highest of the high achievers and say these are the things that that they are doing. Another thing we should mention is that they they're taking matters into their own hands. Um, they're less dependent on decision making from the Department of Indian Affairs. Uh, there are some escape routes from the In Indian Act, uh, which have been legislated for First Nations that that want to do this. It's possible for them to get greater control over their over their lands and business affairs, and by and large, these uh, um, these First Nations are doing that. So they're not dependent on bureaucratic uh, decision making in Ottawa, but they're, uh, you know, as they like to put it, we're uh, acting in the, at the speed of business rather than the speed of government. 
Well, but yeah, here's the thing. I mean, you know, as you say, Ottawa gathers all of this this data. They have all of this at their disposal. These communities presumably would have access to that as well. So why isn't it approached the same way that you're approaching it, that you would have federal bureaucrats looking at, well, why are some communities doing better than others? Yeah. Well, that's a question. I'm not sure I have an answer to that. I I often ask myself uh, these questions. But in fairness to the department, they have undertaken uh, some of the same kinds of research. Um, Not exactly what I've done, but they sponsored a study a couple of years ago in which they sent uh, interviewers around to a similar sample to mine. It's It's not identical, but it's also a sample of... Uh, communities that are doing quite well, and they talked to the leadership there, and they asked them, you know, a wide set of questions, and they got some of the same uh, findings. Their findings were pretty much compatible with mine. That communities that uh, escape from the Indian Act uh, uh, legally, and there are legal avenues to do that to become uh, more in control of their own affairs, uh, these are are the ones who are doing better. So. Uh, you know now why that doesn't get translated into policy, I guess is the uh, is 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 the question. But you know once you have a system set up uh, and a lot of historical inertia behind it, um, it's it's actually very difficult to change. And particularly where government uh, does transfer lots of money to First Nations, so that uh, ones that aren't doing well are still receiving um, quite a bit of money. Uh, it all takes away the incentive to uh, to provide for yourself. So anyway, I, I you know prefer to look on the bright side that, in spite of all obstacles, here's evidence that First Nations can succeed in the world of business and can uh, and can generate a higher standard of living for their uh, for the, for their members. And there's a long way to go, um, but uh, you know it shows that success is possible and it gives some ideas about how you achieve it. Right. Well, so does this let Ottawa off the hook in a way that, that does Ottawa still ha- bear some responsibility for the plight of some of these communities? If if we're saying that these communities don't have to wait around for Ottawa, that there's a lot they can do themselves. Yeah, well, I mean, there's lots of stuff that's legislated, um, programs that, uh, that you know been endorsed by Parliament. The department has no, no choice but to transfer the money. So... Uh, it, it has to be visionary leaders who say we're not satisfied with that. We want to go beyond the kind of minimum standard of survival that we can get from uh, living on the on the departmental transfers. That we think we can do better for ourselves, and we see we see opportunities for that. Um, so uh, you know, as I say, here's 21. You know, I could have done a larger sample. It's not just 21 who are doing well. I, I did the cutoff at a score of 73. Well, if I'd taken a cutoff of 70 or, you know, 69, I would have gotten uh, a couple dozen more communities. It's not just 21. There are several dozen communities across the country that are actually doing uh, quite well. Now, that's still only a fraction of the total of 618, but um, it's uh, to me it's encouraging. Indeed. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Uh, Tom Flanagan, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate okay, it. Okay, Rob. Glad to talk right. to you. Bye-bye. Take care. Tom Flanagan, uh, chair of the Aboriginal Futures Program of the Frontier Center for Public Policy, fcpp.org. And uh, you can also uh, go to aims, A-I-M-S dot C-A, find this report. Uh, it was put out today by the Atlantic Institute for Market Studies. So joined, uh, done in, in conjunction.
between those two organizations. Uh, let's, let's take a break here. We're going to come back. Got some time for your calls, your texts. Again, 403-974-TALK. A few other stories to get to here. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.